Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Jenny Colapitro, PwC's Vice Chair for Health Industries, working across pharmaceuticals, medtech, payers, and providers. And I'm Igor Belakronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I get to help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. And today, Jenny and I are very excited to have back with us the dynamic duo of Glenn Hunsinger, who is the lead of our pharmaceutical and life sciences sector, and Nick Donker, who leads our health services deals platform. Welcome, Glenn and Nick. Thanks, Igor. Thanks, Jenny, for having us. Very excited to join in the conversation today. Thanks, Igor and Jenny. Super excited to be back here again. Nick and Glenn, you were last here six months ago to tell us about the deals environment and the tailwinds that were accelerating the deal flow, as well as of some of the obstacles and headwinds you were anticipating. And here we are again at the beginning of 2022 and really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. This is, of course, a very important space to watch because there are a lot of health organizations out there talking about their priorities, what's important to them, but talk is cheap. And deals is really where you see the bets they're placing, the commitments they're making, and where their strategy is headed. And so six months ago, it seemed like the environment was very favorable and there was a lot of activity. And so curious to hear what you see changing, what's different at the beginning of this year and what's similar. Yeah, thanks, Igor. And this is Nick from a health services perspective. I'd love to tell you so much has changed that it really is impacting deal volumes and values. However, I would say that through the trailing 12 months, early part of December of 2021, looking back, capturing the last six months you just talked about since we last spoke, deal volume has continued to accelerate in all things health services, which is largely payer and provider. Some of the headwinds and tailwinds remain the same, overarching, and those can be broken up into some macroeconomic trends, specifically the availability of cash and dry powder, both from private equity investors, which have continued to increase their percentage of the overall volume within the deals, health services environment, as well as the corporate balance sheets, which continue to reimagine their strategy for growth and their strategy for innovation and care delivery as the pandemic has really bifurcated those that are going to succeed financially and strategically from those that aren't able to succeed as we continue to battle this pandemic. So cash availability, dry powder, the low interest rates, the dearth of assets coming to market because of the elevated multiples and the fight for those assets are things that were very similar six months ago that continue to be impactful today. I think some of the elements around regulatory pieces and matters that continue to evolve, Igor, you and I spoke about this all through the last six months, and you've got increased regulatory scrutiny on deals and deal approval, both at the federal and the state level, which is causing some angst in the system around time to close and around partners with which to choose when you're thinking about going for that approval process, as well as Uncertainty around taxes, which we thought there was going to be a big tax change at the end of calendar year 21 that didn't materialize, but is still on the table for the Biden administration that could accelerate deals or slow deals down based on how that's going to play out. And then other things such as price transparency and the like around reimbursement continue to sort of linger and could be tail or headwinds depending on the ultimate messaging and delivery from CMS. Jenny and Igor, thanks for having me back again. This is my favorite time of the year coming off of a healthcare conference and all the excitement and buzz around what's going to happen in 2022. 
Thanks, Nick, for that insight on the health services side. This is Glenn Hunzinger, the pharma life science deals leader and overall industry leader on the pharma side. It's interesting when we sat here six months ago, things have started to change. And some of the biggest things we're seeing across all of sort of pharma life sciences, the biotech capital markets have normalized a bit. And so last year, if we just look at the amount of capital that went into biotechs, was about 55 billion, that's about seven times the normal level. And so we see a lot of money coming into biotechs. And so a lot of the biotech companies were able to get funding elsewhere, but the biotech market itself has had significant declines over the last six months. And so what that does is probably sets a new baseline for biotech pricing. So paying a premium off probably a more normalized and probably realistic base and also biotech companies looking for funding elsewhere. And that's where sort of the bigger pharma comes in there. The one key trend we see is just that biotech normalization. And a lot of the pharma companies are looking for to fill their pipeline starting in 2024, heading out to 2028. And so these biotech companies with sort of phase two, phase three assets are perfect for them. We look to see an accelerated pace of investment in biotech. The other thing that has to change a bit is with the progression of time, a lot of the pharma companies are a lot more stable. And what I mean by that is just they've gone through large scale portfolio transformations over the past couple of years. And so with every sort of passing day, they're more stable as far as where they are as a business. And there's more of a need for them to continue to diversify their businesses into new therapeutic areas or adjacencies and and to also double down on the TAs they're in with different indications and otherwise. And so that need for growth, while it was important six months ago, is becoming ultra important because everybody is trying to accelerate their growth trajectories and obviously use M&A as a way to empower that. Glenn, can you talk a little bit about some of the unique deals that you've seen recently in farm and life sciences? You know, it's been an interesting period of time. And when you look across the broader PLS portfolio and taking each subsector, you know, on the med device side, I think we see that real need for scale and as I mentioned, kind of need for growth. And some of the interesting ones, I think Boston Scientific's deal for Bayless, I think is an interesting one because it shows that real need for growth. And they're investing heavily around that sort of structural heart area where there's going to be a tremendous amount of growth and, and coming in early with a company that should be able to really take a lot of market share there. So that Bayless deal, I think is an interesting one from a growth perspective. You know, the other area within med device that I think is super interesting is just on that healthcare IT side. So if you look at Oracle buying Cerner and Stryker taking out Versera Communications, there's a lot of investment going into the hospitals, the technology, the data. And so I think those are interesting acquisitions because there is a lot of investing overall into technologies and things that are going to enable more efficiency. I think as a result of some of these deals, we're going to continue to see data and the ability to use data. And that's going to have, I think, a continued knock-on effect to med device companies. We think about med device, that need for scale, there's always a constant question of category leadership or broad portfolio offering. And I think it's going to continue to drive the med device companies to really explore that situation there. And it's going to probably make some level of continued scale plays on top of obviously owning a certain therapeutic area. From a health services perspective, I don't want to single out one unique deal. Rather, I would just focus the effort on the capital markets as a whole 
And then I'll provide some commentary to double click on some additional unique types of deals that we wouldn't have expected this time two years ago. So the first comment around the capital markets is from a health services payer provider perspective, the ability to go public or an IPO was effectively zero for many, many, many years. We had zero companies go an IPO route. It started to pick up again in 20 and in 2021, we had eight public offerings from an IPO perspective. Now, this excludes the recent trend in flavor for the last two years. That number excludes SPAC offerings, which have grown to an unprecedented level across all industries, but particularly within health services, which experienced in excess of 10 SPAC-related or funded offerings last year. So if somebody was having me comment two years ago on the capital markets and companies' exits and just unique transactions, I think SPAC coupled with public offerings is one area. And then to be a little bit more specific, just on unique types of deals, I think that the pandemic and the reevaluating of all payer and provider strategic models has really resulted in labor shortages, resulted in supply chain disruptions, all the stuff that everyone has viewed on the news. But from a hospital and a service perspective, it has really caused various large health systems, if they didn't already have their own internal GPO or otherwise, to really reevaluate and think about some acquisition of assets to help shore up both labor as well as other supply chain imperatives to ensure that they were at least minimally disrupted as this pandemic has extended well beyond, I think, any one of us anticipated. So as we look forward, I would say that capital markets need to be an avenue for those. We've also seen some larger transactions. And as Glenn indicated, which I think is spot on, what I call healthcare light, health tech deals, and the use of data continue to be at the forefront and continue to be creative in a sense as to who their acquirers and partners are on a long-term basis. So I would say those three areas continue to be unique, at least compared to six to 12 months ago. And we should continue to see activity in all of those areas. Glenn and Nick, in still thinking about the last six months, and they sort of felt like five years, you already told us about some of the things that are going to be different going forward, as well as some of the things that will continue to be very important. For example, Glenn, your comment about the ongoing importance of data. And so overall, do you foresee an acceleration in the deal volume or magnitude or staying the pace or slowing down? Good question, Igor. On the PLS side, we think m and is going to accelerate in 2022. The main factors here is with the biotech capital markets starting to normalize down, we think that provides a good baseline for some of the larger companies to sort of really go acquire some of that great science that's happening. There's a lot of funding in great science over the years. And with the biotech market sort of normalizing down, we think that gives the right sort of supply side for pharma to look at. With pharma's continued need for scale, diversification in, in therapeutic areas and products and their need to accelerate their growth, combine that with just capital availability for cash on balance sheet and the ability to raise capital, we think that's a good connection point between sort of pharma and biotech. And we think that we're off to the continue to accelerate. So from a health services perspective, as I look into the next six months, a lot of what Glenn said, definitely there's a concurring view from a payer provider perspective that 
all those factors are in place to continue to accelerate the current volume. And again, as I mentioned in one of my prior responses, we saw record levels of M&A activity across all the subsectors within health services for the trailing 12 months. And as the characteristics that Glenn laid out around capital, et cetera, corporate balance sheets, we don't anticipate the volume or activity to decrease. In fact, we think that it's going to be at par and or even accelerate as we look into not just the next six months, Igor, I think it's the next 12 to 18 months because a lot of our private equity clients are continuing to go back to their LPs and fundraise. And so they have a finite period of time with which to invest those funds. That's on the one hand, a factor that's going to continue to accelerate. The other thing I think that's important to note is we referenced this in some of the unique deals or unique combinations. Very large corporates continue to explore all things diversification and all things growth. And they continue to pivot back to corporate finance and their business development groups to bring them assets to continue to leverage their brand, providing care, as well as taking advantage of the still very fragmented subsectors within health services. And so we anticipate that the home care market, that the behavioral health market, even long-term care continue to be ripe areas and subsectors for which they are to be continued investment in. And it's not just the private equity investors or strategic geographic plays. It is longer, more regional affiliations with best-in-class organizations that are going to continue to drive deal activity, at least on the health services side. And as we look out to the horizon, as you mentioned, the next 12 to 18 months, what are the real deal drivers that you see that might affect these trends or impact valuations, whether positive or negative? Great question, Jenny. On the PLS side, drug pricing is always a topic that's relevant, regardless of where things head regulatorily, with the potential for tax reform and, and obviously just where interest rates and inflation are. Those are, I think, the natural things people are focused on as far as headwinds. Overall, from everything I've seen, most corporate development, I think pharma companies, those are topics that are just kind of here to stay. And that's just part of the challenges they have investing and doing M&A. So I think they are very prepared to take that on. The other one that's becoming even more important is, is just around the FTC and their focus on larger deals and really deals in pharma and whether or not consolidation industry is good for the patient and for the customer. That's been another potential headwind that's out there. But I think most pharma companies are prepared to have that dialogue. M&A and transactions are kind of the fabric for the industry. It is good for the patient in the sense of you don't need that many pharma companies out there with duplicative infrastructure, supply chains, commercial teams. So it really does pull costs out of the system. And M&A does add efficiency and does keep some level of pricing down implicitly. And so I think that dialogue will hopefully be a fruitful one. And I think most companies are prepared to have that dialogue to be able to articulate the positive impact that these can have on patients. Yeah, Glenn, all great points. And I'll piggyback just to reinforce the element around tax reform and obviously the FTC and, and the review process, both from a state and a federal perspective around all transactions, especially with the notion of health services, as there's continued concern from the regulators around not only the cost of care, which is evident in their price transparency passage of legislation, but also access to care, pricing to care, all, all those elements, right, that they're continually focused on at a national level, but now push that down. Certain states have contemplated and even passed additional legislative reviews to ensure that nothing gets disrupted from an access to care for patients. 
But another prong that we see more pertinent to health services still impacts VLS, but really when you think about reimbursement and what CMS is going to do from a reimbursement perspective with Medicaid and then the state level Medicare rates for all the different services. And what we're seeing right at the beginning of the pandemic is the federal government came in and flooded the system with cash to prop up the health system from a services perspective. Now that those funds have either been repaid and or are in the process of being forgiven or allowed to circulate, the real question becomes, for those that needed the cash, how do they actually operate going forward without that continued, call it safety net, that is the government to prop additional funds into the system versus did that really help and stabilize their operations and their enterprise from a cash flow perspective? So I think that as we continue to operate in a pandemic, it's important to see the the output of that, right, as we hopefully move soon from a pandemic to an endemic, and this becomes normal course. So reimbursement, tax, FTC, those are the things that are on our mind as it relates to payer and provider-related entities. On the flip side, things that could accelerate the amount of m a is just, I think, the natural potential dominoes falling with somebody making a bold move in a bigger deal and an area to try to own therapeutic categories or otherwise, I think that natural sets the things in motion for a little bit of a chain reaction here. So it'd be interesting to see if there's a bold move out there that'll drive some of the continued dominoes falling. Glenn and Nick, you've already mentioned a few of the hotspots that you're watching. Any other areas, any other kind of subsectors where you expect to see more activity? You know, the other interesting area, I think it'll be intriguing to see how it develops. It's just around OTC with a lot of the companies becoming separate. It's going to be interesting to see, given you end up with all these separate focused OTC companies with capital to put to work around M&A. So the idea of these companies you know, spinning off and being separate so they can have focused capital allocation, we continue to think that that's going to drive an accelerated level of M&A activity, particularly when we look at certain categories like VMS, the vitamins, minerals, and supplements, which has seen continued growth only accelerated by the pandemic here, where everyone's continuing to try to get healthier. There's a lot of growth in that category, and I think we'll continue to see a lot of investment in M&A from the OTC side. From a subsector's perspective within health services, I already referenced a couple that we think are going to continue to be active from a volume perspective, and that was home health and behavioral. As I look across all of our subsectors, right, including managed care, hospitals, physician practice groups, virtually every single subsector experienced year-over-year volume growth with the exception of hospitals. And that's partially because of the way the numbers are tracked. So if a health system is acquiring another health system, that's counted as one transaction versus a health system that has 15 hospitals gets acquired and or they sell off multiple hospitals. So I think the area that I find knowing what's going on in the marketplace around discussions from health systems, I would say that I would expect an increase in some form or fashion of hospital transactions. And it's not necessarily the larger systems on the buy or sell side. It's the more rural county related, maybe even clearly not for profit or local hospital systems that need support now coming out of a pandemic that may want to affiliate in some form or fashion via a transaction 
with some of the larger, more regional and or national players to be their partners. It just is a matter of time before that has to happen because of financial stability and care and supply chain related disruptions, all as a function of the pandemic. So I do think that there is some ground to be made up on the hospital subsector that we should see in the next at least six to 12 months. Glenn and Nick, it was tremendous as always to have you on and to have you take us beyond the hype and the noise into the underlying trends and the nuances of the deals environment. And we look forward to having you back and looking back at some of your predictions and perspectives and seeing how well they held up. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Jenny and Igor. Thanks for having us. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.